Hey everyone, just a reminder that we are recording remotely while we're quarantined, uh, so the sound might be slightly compromised, but hopefully not too bad. Enjoy! Welcome to Feminists Without Mystique, a podcast where we process politics, sex, and the unrelenting fire hose of bullshit in the news through an unapologetically feminist lens. Each week, we'll vent about the news, go deep on one important issue, call out terrible things happening below the top headlines in a segment called We See You, and then we'll end with something hopeful. And just a reminder, if you're into us, to subscribe, rate, review, recommend us to friends, family, coworker, whoever, you know. Whoever. Whoever you like. <laughs> yeah, we really appreciate it. It, it brightens our day, week, month, year. year. Our 2020. 2020 is a low bar, but you can yeah. brighten it. <laughs> you can. You, you too. <laughs> um, and yeah, and I don't know. I mean, this is so, so sort of embarrassing um, that I made the connection this way because I was thinking you could also support us. Um, we're on Kofi, which is spelled K-O-F-I um, and help us with uh, the audio subscriptions and things that randomly show up and I forget that we've had them and then it's like boom a hundred dollar charge for the annual whatchamafuck and it's like exactly (laughs) help us balance out our whatchamafuck budget (laughs) please (laughs) um yeah so yeah that's always an option and thank you we have a couple of people who have been just so generous so um we see you in the best way Uh, yeah Sandra Poehler she's been really great um Thanks, Sandy. And sorry if we're delayed in responding. Sometimes um, sometimes I don't check for a while because I, you know, yeah, people it's don't. It's not only fans. We're not getting a lot of <laughs> It's not like there's nonstop cash coming in. So it's, uh, yeah, but <laughs> I will respond when I see it. Yeah. Um, so thank you to people. And then um, on kind of a more somber note in terms of giving today is giving Tuesday as we're recording. Um, and this season, and we'll talk about it. There's a couple of like, I think we see that we have that sort of touch on this, but there's huge um, housing and food insecurity this year, worse, much worse than past years. Um, there's always problems because of our fucked up <laughs> system, but um just a reminder to kind of pick pick a cause or two and, you know, donate to your local food pantry, um, kind of whatever makes sense for you. Um, I really like a quote that uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda, shocker. What? Um, you like it? <laughs> oh my God, what? I know. Um, he had this quote a, a couple of years ago. I think it was just probably lots of things with the Trump administration were happening, but he was taking on Hurricane Maria and Puerto Rico and those rebuilding efforts. And he said something along, along the lines of, um, you can't take on every issue, you'll explode. But the issues you do take on, you know, take, take them fully on or, you know, you just put your heart into the ones that you, you can, um, you, you want to affect the most change in or whatever speaks to you personally the most. So you don't have to justify it to anyone, but whatever, yeah, whatever speaks to you. Yeah. And just, I think like giving and what, you know, however, whatever that looks like to you, whether you can give some canned goods, whether you can give five bucks, whether you can make a recurring $20, you know, donation somewhere, mm-hmm. whether you can volunteer, you know, it's, everyone has 
has the things that they can and can't do within their own life to kind of to give back. And so we encourage everyone and we'll do the same thing to, to, to reflect on on ways that you and we can give back and to do so. Um, because yeah. as shitty as it is for as shitty as it feels for us, it's a lot worse for a lot of people. And yeah, um, you know, this holiday season. <laughs> yeah. Let's give back. And every month, you know. Yeah. I have to be better about this too. I saw something, I forget which business was also just mentioning that you can a free way to help businesses or kind of kind of similarly to podcasts is just like giving them a positive review on Yelp if you've ever been there you know if there's mm-hmm. a, you know giving giving positive reviews on social media interacting with people if you're if you're already on Instagram following like a million accounts you know being kind of that that extra supporter of a small um little artisan shop that needs every, every dollar this year, um, is yeah. another, another free way to sort of give you, give of your time and your likes. Yes. And yeah, we encourage people to find local businesses, businesses owned by people of color, by women. And, mm-hmm. um, you can actually on, on Etsy, you can filter, which is just one platform, but it's very well known, but you can filter by location of where they are. So if you specifically want to contribute to a business in your area, you can filter by your area and see, you know, who's offering what, um, there are lots of ways to go about it, but yeah, let's all try our darndest to be good human beings and give back in this fucking atrocity of a year. Oh yeah. Well, uh, speaking of good human beings and then the, on opposite day, the opposite of that (laughs) transition of the year (laughs) (laughs) from good to bad. Um, I have been enjoying sort of seeing these like little um, news push notifications coming in, just quietly delighting me. Mm. Um, <laughs> like Giuliani potentially discussing pardoning of himself and other people who are, oh, I'm sure at this point they say they've never committed any crimes, but anyway, they're cons- trying to get pardoned by Trump. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, preemptively. Shocking. Shocking. Just staggering. Yeah, it's um, weird. Yeah, apparently Rudy Giuliani <laughs> wanted to make a deal to get pardoned. I I'm shocked by it. <laughs> uh, oh, wow. Shocked wow. and appalled. And then we had William Barr, <laughs> mm. notable uh, fuck boot. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> new word. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, sort of. <laughs> inspired, um, <laughs> who declared that, uh, the U S justice department has to cover, uncover no evidence of widespread voter fraud that could change the outcome of the election. Mm. Yeah, it's like our own literatica. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I mean, he's the worst. He's still awful, but it's like, wow, he's, he's coming out and saying it. So, mm. Yeah. It's 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 nice it's nice to see even though he's a piece of shit because you know as, as the closer we get to January twentieth thankfully the more it looks like we will have an actual transition mm-hmm. power. Um, so it's nice to see little fuckers like William Barr who have just been such insidious little tools um, mm-hmm. giving up giving the fuck up (laughs) they're all gonna abandon donald trump he's not gonna have anyone to fix all his problems i know you just love to see it um and mitch mcconnell obviously the actual worst person on the face of the universe um he 
has still not formally recognized that Trump lost, but he did just <laughs> mention the quote new administration when he was discussing stimulus plans today. Mm-hmm. It's just beyond, you know, he just, <sighs> but um, yeah, so that's fun. It's just, I wonder what like Lindsey Graham, you know, when that's going to happen for him. I'll have like, I don't know. A theatrical eyeglass. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> What's happening here, Lindsay? Have you? <laughs> uh, he's, a, he's a depressing uh, character. <laughs> mm, yeah. So all these jerk, jerk alerts are having to fall in line and accept reality. And um, it's really funny. Oh, and another like hilarious thing actually is that have you seen i'm gonna try to find it on twitter a bunch of people like trump because trump keeps trying to undercut the election results mm-hmm. he and he <laughs> it's basically harming him right now i mean i'm not gonna get too excited because i'm so nervous about georgia i don't want to jinx it but there are for instance these billboards that are up in georgia that say things like purdue slash loffler didn't deliver for trump don't deliver for them Like, okay, so, like, super far-right people are actually putting up billboards and promoting the idea of not voting for Purdue and Loeffler, which you just love to see. You love to see it. Yeah, I think they put up, like, seven or eight of those in, like, (laughs) well-trafficked areas. Love to see it. (laughs) Like, go ahead and stay home. Do whatever you need to do to not support Loeffler and Purdue. Yeah, that's they're, effective. They're, just, they're bad. They're bad candidates. Like it's not. I mean, obviously, oh, yeah. generally, I will always prefer a Democrat over a Republican, but they're particularly shitty. Yeah. So, so great so, to see those billboards. Loving yeah. it. Loving it. Loving Keep it. Keep it up, Georgia. Yeah. <laughs> and then in um, in cool representative awesome news, uh, Elliot Page, who mm. people will know from Juno and Umbrella Academy, which I have not seen yet, but apparently is good, um, mm. came out as a trans man. Um, and by and large, at least the responses I saw were really positive, which is great. Um, there were, I saw HuffPost used his dead name and some other places. So just like a little reminder not to use um Elliot's the name that he was assigned before he chose his own name and not to do that with people who are trans um because it's not (laughs) it's very unkind (laughs) to do um and it's you know an easy mistake I think for people but just if that's something you weren't aware of just just don't do it and yeah thankfully for the most part it seems like people are are supportive there are of course the like fuckboy comments on Mm -hmm. I saw on the internet but um you know, which is also just a reminder that if you don't understand gender identity and you don't understand people who are trans and you don't care about learning about it, then just shut up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't affect you. So if you don't want to be an ally, just sit down and shut up. But um, yeah. I thought it was awesome. He wrote a really, a really beautiful post and um, yeah, it was, it was great to see and here for it yeah yeah absolutely and i i understand people feeling uh nervous for instance that you might slip up um and i think that that's like you know you can have reasonable just just to be aware that like it's muscle memory and just you have to just change change your muscle memory on that or your association with that 
actor. Um, and mm-hmm. it's again, yeah. like not that hard, but it's just a thing that takes like some additional brain power, not a whole lot, but it's okay to just yeah. knowledge. It's going to be take, take a second. And if, especially if this is kind of the first person that you're, you're aware of and you're like, circle of celebrities that you follow or, you know, whatever. I I mean, at this point there's also like a lot of prominent people, but, um, you know, like you can come to it gracefully and yeah. Like if if you do make, like you're not an evil person, if you misspeak or make a mistake, it's just about like intent being intentional and Mm -hmm. correcting yourself and apologizing and just being a person about it, you know, and moving on, like move, apologize and move on. Um, or go ahead and like, there are lots of different, um, trans advocates on Twitter that have sort of like had good, have done like different Q and A's or answered questions that are all kind of along the lines of like, how should, how should, I respond, how should, like, how, how do I make up for misgendering when I know it, when I do it, and then I just know that I did it, and I want to apologize, and it's, like, the thing that, at least, I forget, maybe it was a She Podcast thing from earlier this year, but, like, someone said, uh, just apologize one time sincerely, and move on, like, don't, um, don't keep bringing it up because it's just going to like, it's hurtful the first time it happens and to be continuously reminding the person that you've made this mistake and then they feel like they have to assure you it's okay when it's actually just like you made a mistake. Just say you're sorry one time yeah. and, and move on. Yeah. Cause we're all human and we get used to referring to people in certain ways in our, in our brains, you know? Mm. So I, yeah, I think that's totally on, totally on the mark. Just the first time apologizing be like, if I do it again, I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm working toward it. I respect your identity and who you are. It's just a matter of like reprogramming my brain and the way I refer to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, but so good I'm, for Elliot. Yeah, I'm looking forward to. I've always been a fan. I look forward to see what what he does in the future. And um, yeah, heartthrob then, heartthrob now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know me. I'm always down to clown. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it was yeah. it was great to see, and it's always. And some people were like, "Why does it matter?" Or like, "Who cares?" And it's like, it matters because there. are in most, if not all of this country, you know, people who are trans are discriminated against, murdered, um, disowned. So it's important to have these prominent people coming out and and showing you this is who I am and it's okay. Um, mm-hmm. So it does matter and it's inspiring and it's wonderful and everyone should be able to live their authentic selves and we stand Elliot Page. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Yes. <sighs> I just want to bring that up. It was like one piece of like somewhat uplifting <laughs> news. Yeah. Yeah, it was cool. really nice, nice to see. And then nice to just see all the support kind of flowing. Yeah, in. it was nice. It was nice to see Twitter being good. <laughs> I know. What I saw of it. Facebook was a mixed bag, but mostly. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Oh. I only got into one argument online. <laughs> oh, good for you. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Good for me. Yeah, so this week, uh, we're going to chat about Biden's appointments. Um, We're not going to get into like the nitty gritty of each and every one that he's nominated so far. We're going to kind of do broad views, focus on a few and talk about kind of the broader, the broader question of how do people on the left come together? 
Mm. The the liberals, the progressives, the centrist Democrats, whatever the fuck we are. (laughs) Yeah. Big coalition, but we've got to stay together to get anything done. (laughs) Yeah. I get why it's hard and we'll talk about it, but we've got to form a bit of a unified front for now. And uh, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, and it's not—it's not like it's gonna taste good. It's not gonna be—I mean—but hopefully, progress is ultimately. Yeah, will will look good on everyone. But okay, who should we start with? Do you want to start with? Do you want to start with Nira? Do you want to start with Janet? Do we... <laughs> well, maybe Nira because she's just such the a John. <laughs> yeah. <Nira. laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, let's do near near near. Just pull out my. So she um, is nominated to be the director of the Office of Management and Budget, and if she's confirmed, she would be the first woman of color to lead that organization, um, which is great. She of Biden's somewhat like safe, moderate Democrat picks. She's the one the one that stuck out to me as the most like progressive and the most pearl clutching from the right about mm-hmm. it. Um, and from what I could gather, most of that is because of her, her beliefs and her being outspoken on Twitter. Um, and they were all pissed cause she deleted like a thousand tweets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like some of the things she said, like she, uh, spoke out against Susan Collins in 2018 for voting to confirm Kavanaugh. Um, and she called Collins a fake defender of Roe v. Wade, accused her of flat out deception. Um, she's, which I'm like, <laughs> no lies detected. Mm-hmm. Um, she also, Fox was mad about it because they love defending Michelle Obama, question mark. But that, <laughs> uh, they were really pissed that Neera Tandon said that going high doesn't fucking work. Mm. <laughs> Again, there is a green, uh, there's some truth to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's also been outspoken against Mitch McConnell, um, called him Moscow Mitch, and in one tweet asked people to focus their ire on Mitch McConnell and the GOP senators are up for re-election who enable him. And again, so it's like, I'm not... I don't see any kind of smoking guns with her. Um, I just mm-hmm. see someone who is pro- who is progressive politically and speaks to that and had spoken to that on their personal Twitter. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's like what what are we what are we super mad about? But this could be kind of one of the nominee. I mean, he's been playing it safe in general. This could be one of the nominations that potentially could be contentious for being actually nominated, depending also on how Georgia goes. Um, Mm -hmm. Because even if Georgia, if Democrats lose both races and we're stuck with 52-48, they need two Republicans to vote for Tandon, um, Mm -hmm. which is possible. (laughs) Yeah. Certainly possible. Um, And she's also... I mean, she's she's qualified for the role as well with her with her past experience. So it's the all of the ire I've seen thrown her way has to do with how she's kind of carried herself on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, which also none of the things. Granted, she deleted a thousand tweets, but none of the things I saw were like what. It was just her stating her opinion. 
um, on Twitter as, as people do. Um, mm-hmm. and most of the things that I read that they were so mad about, I'm like, I agree with that. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Right. I, uh, I totally agree with, yeah, <laughs> most of the stuff she's written on Twitter. Um, I like the fact that she, um, has talked about that she grew up, um, in section eight housing and on food stamps and really kind of understands, that aspect of things and understands like um, her experience, her childhood is grounded in understanding of what, um, you know, budgeting at the federal level actually means. Mm -hmm. Um, I found it interesting. um, (laughs) Maybe it's just because I just watched season four of the crown. So that like quote from the queen being like, one to watch. Oh really? Yes. Yeah. It's not a spoiler. Just when she talks to Margaret Thatcher and she says like, you know, it's tricky to get anything done when one makes uh, like enemies left, right and center, you know, and then um, Margaret Thatcher's like, not if one is comfortable with enemies or something. Um, <laughs> yes. Dramatic but, reenactment for the win. <laughs> yeah. You're, you guys are welcome. Um, but it did kind of remind me because people are super upset. Like, you know, Chuck Grassley and John Cornyn are like, really pissed on the on the right um and um one of the like the chief of staff or former chief of staff of uh, mitch mcconnell tw- tweeted cynically once um Neera tandem was nom- nominated quote and there's a sacrifice to the confirmation gods which is pretty cynical to think that like biden might have sort of like drop kicked her into this process thinking that she might not she might be the one that might get kind of not confirmed and sort of have that as part of his strategy all along, which I don't think is necessarily true. I just like, um, yeah, I hate that idea. I don't, I wouldn't think he would do that though. Yeah, I agree. Because it's also like, look how moderate some of these choices are. It's sort of like, I have to put some people in that are more progressive, right? you know, and hope that they get confirmed. And he could also put her in a different position that doesn't require confirmation if she doesn't get confirmed, you know? Right. And the problem, you know, the problem with left, right, and center being upset, though, I mean, the left, the Bernie Sanders wing of the world is also not happy with her Mm -hmm. because she's a Clinton loyalist. And apparently, this is, like, kind of (laughs) crazy, um, the New York Times reported that a long time ago, like, she punched um, Faiz Shakir, Sanders' 2020 campaign manager, quote, in the chest um, when he worked as Think Progress's editor, um, but that's, they cited an anonymous source and she, she disputed that characterization, characterization saying she quote, didn't slug him, but pushed him. <laughs> um, so that's kind of funny. Um, why she push him? What did he, you know, <laughs> like, I want to know more. What happened? I know. I'd love some details on that. I mean, I think that, that, um, there are always going to be, people from the Sanders faction having loud opinions on Twitter, as is their right. Um, but yeah, so she's she's someone who is certainly gonna be a lightning rod. Um, but I'm glad that I'm glad that he nominated her. She seems she seems qualified. She seems yeah, and it's like we need some like fighters in there. You know, not referring to the <laughs> <laughs> people who are gonna. This is my thought before she apparently put. <laughs> you should never push somebody. Yeah, um, but you know, we we need some fighters in the mix, and uh, you know, the role that she's nominated for could 
play a huge role in so many things regarding climate change, healthcare expansion. Um, so Finky's crossed that she, uh, she makes it through and kind of speaking to your point of where she came from, um, which I think is, is quite compelling. She said, after my parents were divorced when I was young, my mother relied on public food and housing programs to get by. Now I'm being nominated to help ensure those programs are secure and ensure families like mine can live with dignity. Um, so she's one of those people where I feel like her heart is in the right place. She mm-hmm. has progressive ideals and she doesn't necessarily, it just seems like she doesn't necessarily play the politician game. She just kind of speaks her mind. Mm-hmm. And from what I've seen, does so civilly. Um, also, hmm, <laughs> like who else do we know that's spoken his mind for the last four years from the White House? Um, mm-hmm. no, Names on the tip of my tongue. <laughs> <laughs> Not coming to mind. Sorry. <laughs> you lost me. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, this is again like what we've what we've said for four years and what we'll reiterate is that Republicans have absolutely no ground to stand on when they start coming with their pearl clutching, saying that mm. she was not nice on Twitter. Oh really? Oh really? <laughs> yeah. A lot of people aren't quote unquote nice on Twitter. Let me just <laughs> Never, yeah. yeah, never bothered you before. So, yeah, I wonder. It's, it's, maybe she's a woman of color with progressive values, and people are nervous. Um, Elizabeth Warren <laughs> came out in support of her, um, which yes. I love. I'm the only for. endorsement I need. Yeah. <laughs> Truly, um, and yeah, and she's currently she's currently the president of the Liberal Center for American Progress Research Group, and she worked in the Clinton administration, the Obama administration. Um, she's she's done a lot of shit um and i i believe she will do well and i think that the there's no substantive basis to the uh the complaints i've seen about her it's all mm, i don't like the way she acts Mm -hmm. which is weird because like usually people love the way that women carry themselves especially when they project power people love it they love the way they speak the words they use the tone of their Mm -hmm. voices just everything yeah, it's easy to be a lady in politics. <laughs> Speak your mind. <laughs> she tells it like it is. I like yeah. that. I love that about her. <laughs> Brief crying break. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my uh, God. You want to you wanna cruise into Janet Yellen? <laughs> yeah. Um, it's so Janet Yellen um, is nominated uh, for Treasury Secretary, and in keeping with obviously my permanent obsession with Hamilton, um, Joe Biden uh? <laughs> he also said that he was like maybe Lin Manuel Miranda should write one uh, should write a musical about the first female Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. <laughs> Cute. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Janet Yellen, um, she's 74 and she has had a long career as an economist um, and seems to be someone who is widely respected on both sides. Um, widely. <laughs> <laughs> widely. <laughs> um, but she seems to be somewhat, uh, there was a great... Um, Basically, she she came to prominence after um, she noted the impending collapse of the housing market um, under Obama's, uh, you know, at the end of the or beginning of the Obama administration, um, and she uh, 
basically she was cha- she chaired the Federal Reserve. Um, she chaired Bill Clinton's Council of Economic Advisors. Um, and she actually would be the first person to hold the country's three, like the top three economic jobs, um, assuming she is confirmed. So there's a, she has a lot of like hardcore real experience and she's worked with Republicans and Democrats kind of well. Um, but she also has been someone who has spoken, she's had like political tints to different um, things that she said in front of Congress. Um, because she has sort of a sense of the way that the economy ultimately impacts individuals. Um, And she communicated that to Mick Mulvaney, actually, and like this great back and forth where he was interrupting her and was so disrespectful and was just like, you're, he basically, he said something along the lines of like, you're like running your mouth basically on something that doesn't, you know, it it was like a really disrespectful phrase. I I don't think it was that one, but like on things that don't concern you, it's not your business. And she sort of had a great retort where she was saying, um, and it was in the New York times daily today. It's so funny. I feel like we talk about, we say what we're going to focus on and then the daily will come out with something like eminently relevant to that. Um, Mm -hmm. but they played the whole back and forth. And she said essentially that, um, um, people in the Federal Reserve, it's their responsibility to sort of notice the trends that in the that are happening in the economy and then understand how those trends impact um, individuals and labor and employment and wages and, and how things like discrimination and income inequality matter and how the and how she she is someone who seems like she believes in the free market, she believes in in capitalism, but she thinks that you know human nature is is ugly and that occasionally more than occasionally, it's the government's responsibility to step in when the free market has run amok. And she obviously thinks that it has not, like, she, she thought that it had when she was talking to um, Mick Mulvaney. Um, but essentially, it seems like she is, she's certainly, um, she's a relatively moderate choice, it seems, but she is guided by a um, a core kind of, um, attention to to humanity and to the people that she's serving, and and has an understanding on a on a granular granular level of how the economy, which can get super theoretical, how how those how all of her decisions and the decisions of the market will impact real people, real working working people in the country. So overall, like to me, it seems like as I'm trying to sort of swallow (laughs) bitter pills of feeling like uh, we're just, we're getting a bland, we're getting a like- A lot of loads to swallow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Just, you know, we're getting, we're getting what we get with Biden, what we always thought we'd get with Biden. And so under those, that's those measurements through by those measurements, I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm feeling like this is a good pick. Me too. I'm happy with it. I think, like you said, I think the most important thing to me with people who are in charge of really any kind of policy or any any political position that matters is giving a shit about people. <laughs> like you spoke to, it's like, I know, it's like her, she's very intelligent and understands the economy and understands all of the, the nitty gritty of it, but she actually cares about humans and she understands the human component of it, which is the most important component of it. So I'm here for it. I'm here for someone who, you know, it won't be hard to confirm, mm-hmm. who will do the job and 
I mean, in the time that we're in, we need someone tested. We need someone who gives a shit about people in this position. Um, you know, we're we're in the middle of a pandemic. I don't know if anyone knows that. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be really great to give people economic relief. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm here for Janet. Um, she is, yeah, she apparently also something, something that I learned, the reason that Trump didn't keep her on or, or rehire her to that role was because he thought she was too short. Oh, my God. Yeah. Because <laughs> she's a little wee five feet, isn't she? Yeah, so Aww. it was a, it was an appearance thing, and he wanted someone who projects power, not like, you know, and it's like, wow. she's, I mean, she's a powerhouse of her own, and, um, you yeah. know, even f- fucking Fox Business, who, how dare I quote them? <laughs> I who am I? Where am I? Whatever. If this, this is like when you show, quoted the Bible. That was the as a woman of faith and conservative values, I quote the Bible and Fox Business. Um, no, uh, but Fox Business referred to her as the perfect choice at the perfect time. Um, they see her as a centrist, um, and I'm fine with it because, like you said, she she has a proven track record and she cares about and understands the human value in all of this. So while she's, you know, more moderate than we'd like, perhaps, I think she's certainly a fine choice for the moment. And mm-hmm. I'm happy <laughs> and fine to see Janet Yellen <laughs> lurking on into that position again and just, uh, you know, mm-hmm. going for it. So I agree. I we haven't talked about the most exciting pick, John Kerry. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Or made-up position, special envoy for climate. No, it's going to be great. (laughs) It's going to be great. I feel bad because I – actually, I don't feel bad. He can take it. I just – my initial reaction was like (laughs) – I was disappointed because I just – well, I'm happy that the position has been created um, and it deserves the stature that it, that it is being given. Um, I, you know, it, it does feel like when we talk about the Green New Deal um, and climate activism, I really am generally, with the exception of Ed Markey, mm-hmm. thinking of like a, a younger generation of people that need to kind of be leading this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I hear John Kerry and it just feels like it's 2004 or it's just like this like, bland white bread politician who hasn't really contributed anything real or new to me or exciting recently. And, you know, my dad reminded me that he was a huge part of the Paris climate accords and yeah, he um, negotiated he in 2015. <laughs> he did do that. He did do that. <laughs> I was like, Oh, okay. I mean, having someone with, with major foreign policy cred, um, uh, and stature, and who can, again, like you say, with other, with Janet Yellen and with um, Neera Tandon, is like just someone who can like hit the ground running day one, mm-hmm. super eminently qualified. And will just like, just start delegating, delegating, getting shit done. Mm-hmm. Like that is so critical at this moment. So yeah, he's not sparkly. Retracted. <laughs> yeah, he's not sparkly and exciting, but like, like you said, he had the role in the, in the Paris agreement. I believe to my bones, that man gives so many shits about climate change, which is 
I think one of the most important things for that position. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he's, he's been working in his way on it, his whole career, I'd say, you know, at least in the, in the last couple of decades. Um, so while it was one of the ones where I kind of felt the same way, I was like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Hi, John. Um, oh, friend. <laughs> yeah. He had, like, he's, he has a track record. He, he, he cares. He has the know-how he has, he'll do well in the position. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm again, fine with it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's the theme of this is fine with it. We're fine um, with it. <laughs> I mean, you know, Biden campaigned on this message of unity, on this message of bringing the country together, um, on it, not, you know, I'm a proud Democrat, but I'm an American. And mm-hmm. so we knew his, his cabinet, would wouldn't be like the most progressive thing in the entire world but what we need in that in that position right now is we need someone who takes climate change seriously who understands the science of it and who will mm-hmm. do what needs to be done and i truly believe that john Kerry is all of those things um yeah. and it, this really does feel like some like kind of a, a transitional presidency from whatever the fuck's been happening yeah fever dream of the last four years and ideally fingies crossed a more progressive future and these are the building blocks in between like setting up the structure for a really great you know climate crisis plan um because that honestly is perhaps the biggest existential threat to all of us Mm -hmm. um so yeah, well, he's not the most exciting uh, dog in the show. Uh, he's tried and true, and I think he's gonna do just fine. And I think we're gonna see. And it's also like give him a, give him a shot, you know? Yeah, yeah. He, he wanted to be, and he was very nice about conceding his his election. So. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And he'll the international <laughs> reputation. Like we need, we need to do so much rebuilding on that front. Mm-hmm. It's overwhelming. So um, yeah. he'll help with that. Yeah. And that's, a, it's like a big theme of all of these is this idea that we need to rebuild and putting people in who just, who know how to do it and who have mm-hmm. experience. And also with all of this kind of talk about how it's a more moderate um, administration, in a lot of ways than maybe we'd want. There are also a lot of women, a lot of people of color. There mm-hmm. is a diversity in it that we have not seen um in Trump's administration. Ever. I mean, yeah, slash ever. Yeah. So, you know, the communications team, pretty much all women, we've got, you know, oh, several yeah. of these people would be the first woman or the first uh, person of color in, in certain um, positions like uh, Wally, um, Wally Adeyemo, uh, nominated to serve as deputy, deputy secretary of the treasury would be the first African-American deputy secretary of the treasury. And there are a lot of people like this. Um, mm-hmm. Like he is certainly, while trying to kind of unify as much as he can across the aisle, still trying to speak truth to what his promises were. And I'm sure Kamala Harris also has a role in this in Mm. actually having his cabinet reflect the American populace um, in a real way. So I do like claps for that. Mm -hmm. Um, That is certainly... That is certainly a positive. So it does feel like moves in the right direction. It's just like, obviously, you and I would both like to like snap our fingers and 
progressive agenda. Let's catch up to like Europe and not be this weird <laughs> yeah. kind of backwards country that thinks it's the best in the whole world. But um Yeah. You know, yeah. we're working on it. Um and we're then working on it. Definitely worth mentioning is the nominee for Secretary of Homeland Security, um, who was born in Havana, Cuba. Mm. Uh, it would be I believe, maybe not. His name is Alejandro uh, Mayorkas. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, will be the first Latino and immigrant nominated to head the agency. Yeah. So that's pretty great. He came to the U.S. as a political refugee with his family when he was a kid. He was a lawyer. He worked for the Obama administration in 2009. He implemented the DACA program. Um, mm. Like this is a sort of a less less headliney, at least from the headlines I read, kind of grabbing person, but mm-hmm. I thought that that was really um, compelling to see us putting a Latino man as the head of Secretary of Homeland Security, which I think mm-hmm. is incredibly important, um, particularly given his experience with DACA and the Obama administration, his experience with the law, like another like all around solid choice, but also not filling up his cabinet with white men. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, reading back over his resume, um, it's really heartening all the different things that he's sort of the different prosecutions that he's overseen. But I liked to see um, uh, as an assistant uh, U.S. attorney um, specializing in prosecution of white collar crime. Isn't mm-hmm. it nice to see along with like understanding, it seems like some some real interest in, in prosecuting corruption. Uh, so, yeah. That's, and then there's like a whole list. I mean, it's, it's, it's actually, it's again, like kind of as like when we went through the Biden, the case for Biden and Harris, like actually going and looking at all these people's resumes, like mm-hmm. even when I, cause, cause the instinct sometimes on Twitter, not with, not with, um, this, this nominee specifically, but with some of these people is like just to get swept up in the hype and have a little mini temper tantrum mm-hmm. like John Kerry, but reading through why they actually were selected, which is what we should all do in the first place. But I have to remind myself, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, is really um, can will probably make everyone feel better, or our listeners feel better about each of the people selected. Uh, yeah, and there are plenty more. There's Avril Haines, who will be who would be the first woman nominated to lead the U.S. intelligence community. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jake Sullivan would be the youngest, one of the youngest people to serve his role in decades if he's nominated as national security advisor. Uh, Linda Thomas Greenfield for UN ambassador, mm-hmm. um, who's a 35 year veteran of U.S. Foreign Service. She served on four different continents. She was Obama's top diplomat on Africa, 2013 to 2017. Um, led U.S. policy in sub-Saharan Africa during the West Africa Ebola outbreak. Um, and Biden actually plans to elevate the position he's nominated her for to cabinet level, which it was not prior. Mm. Um, so another another great one. And she is also a black woman. Um, so again, this combination of, uh, of experience, know-how, and diversity. Um, mm-hmm. This all all makes me feel good, even though it's not all like the leftiest lefts in the whole world. But you also, you know, I also think about the fact that to make it and be successful as a woman, as a person of color in this country, you probably can't lead mm-hmm. with your most progressive policies. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, there are exceptions to that, but to get ahead, I think you kind of have to maybe play the game to an extent. So 
I also think potentially we're not seeing um, the, the true colors of these uh, picks necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. Or I tell myself that. <laughs> <laughs> it's worth, uh, you know, yeah. Yeah. Hoping. Are there any other specific peeps you want to speak about before we just kind of spend a minute to talk about, like, how are we all going to be friends? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I think we're, I think this about covers it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, it's a very, it's a conversation that I just kind of like never really want to have, um, this question Mm -hmm. of how do we all, how does this, um, contingent of Democrats, uh, this coalition like stay together, um, after we narrowly defeated Trump? Um, I mean, obviously in the grand scheme of things, not narrowly in terms of population, but narrowly in terms of the electoral college. Um, uh, I find myself so protective of AOC, you know, and and like she takes so much shit um, from the left and the right. It's like people are like the center and the right. And then also Mm -hmm. sometimes people on the left. And um, she's always so... Um, she's the one who always brings the most facts when she's ever, whenever she's explaining something or her perspective, she's always the most positive and seems to be the most um, willing to have like a reasonable conversation with people. And yet like the things that the media will pick up, the things that people start stirring up are her, like the quips that she'll put on Twitter. Um, And then it just stirs up needless bullshit. Like this thing with Joe Manchin where she posted like a picture because Joe Manchin was trending for one of the stupid reasons that he trends, which is where he just says something really um, Republican, really conservative. Cause he's mm-hmm. for our listeners, he's the most conservative Democrat. Um, he is a Democrat from West Virginia. He is an uh, middle to older age white man who is just sort of like, he is reveling in his newfound relevance um, because as the New York Times said, any bill that Democrats want to pass for the next four years right now goes straight through a mansion, which sent a chill through me because I was just like, oh my God, I hate this. I hate this for his ego. I hate this for the US. I hate this for everyone. And But anyway, he's loving it and he's sort of, already seeming to build himself this like little coalition of him and Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins and like Mitt Romney and like this little group of basically three Republicans and Joe Manchin are going to try to kind of, and, and possibly succeed at basically saying, look, we are the center, which is horrifying. We're the Four center. of us have decided <laughs> that we're the center of this country. We've known any, uh, you know, lots of other countries. We'd be far right. <laughs> You'd all be far right, you bitches. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's, um, it's certainly frustrating. And I think mm-hmm. AOC, like, I, I, I find myself mostly like, feeling very much tugged towards her, her perspective and her, like basically everything that she says in terms of what we need to push for and why. Yeah. And I agree. It's, it's, she's, she's very in touch with, she's very, very smart, very bright. She's very in touch with, with what people in this country want and need. Um, and she's just kind of no bullshit Mm -hmm. and it upsets a lot of people. Um, and again, I think there's a, an element of her being like a 
traditionally attractive woman of color as well, like in all of this. And it's just like, they don't know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> They're mad about it. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm also, you know, looking forward to see what she continues to do mm-hmm. in her, in her career. But yeah, Joe can just <laughs> like, you just decide that you are the moderate voice of like who, who? <laughs> and there's this newfound just you know it 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 does make me sad and frustrated and that's probably because partly because we're in a pandemic where like I'm just you know consuming the news and then just getting like frustrated about it without being able to do very much but um there's this it just seems like this new wave of thinking that's like that's right i'm a moderate which actually means that i am the bravest person on the internet and i'm also the deepest thinker because i'm not i'm not one way i'm not the other way and somehow mm-hmm. you are elevate you elevate yourself above everything and then also somehow cast yourself as the victim mm-hmm. it's it's enraging <laughs> it's classic like white man moderate syndrome mm-hmm. <laughs> classic we're just like i have decided that i'm the smartest person in any room i'm in mm-hmm. because my opinion does not align that way or that way i must be right <laughs> not going to adjust the scale for the world just for this country and the fucked up place i'm living in mm-hmm. um but yeah no it's not <laughs> like it's it, I'm, I'm tired sick and tired of like a specific type of white man just this assumption of rightness and they're mm-hmm. so proud of themselves and just like, Oh, I'm just so smart. I have these moderate beliefs. And it's like, mm-hmm. you're just like regurgitating the shit that you saw on Reddit, you know, mm-hmm. or you're just, it's not, it, it, it doesn't feel like a real held beliefs. It more feels like, I don't know. I don't know, but I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's frustrating. And it's, it's a reaction to people who have been subjugated for so long, basically demanding to be heard and demanding it and using phrases and language that some people find threatening and some people find offensive. And I get it. Defund the police as a phrase is complicated and hard and like, I guess we have to talk about it a bit, but like, you know, Anyone who is using their brain and reading the news and has any sense of how things work generally knows that, like, you know, just broadly, defund the police is, like, a, a phrase that is used in protest because people are are upset and desperate. And while in a lot of ways defund really means, like, just divert resources and, like, re, like prioritize other things. And, mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't necessarily mean, like, it, it never means, like, we're advocating total chaos. You know, it's it's a very, it, it's a phrase that encapsulates a whole lot of, of things that need to help, like, need to be changed about society. Because the phrase is defund the police, it alienates a lot of people instantly. And it's really frustrating to me that a lot of people who are so quick to say, take Trump seriously, but not literally. It's like, you're not Mm going to do the same with this phrase that so obviously is encompassing like the pain of lots of people, but not the literal intent to defund the police. Like, (laughs) and it takes five seconds. Like if you truly did not know what it meant, it takes five seconds to figure it out. And it's like, we don't like, I believe black lives matter 
started that terminology and it's like we as white people don't get to be like I don't like the way that sounds you know it's (laughs) like no we don't we don't we don't get to do that like learn what a word means Mm -hmm. learn what the phrase means um without just being reactionary based on how you think it sounds to your earballs um because on it it's like there are other phrases that maybe would sound better but honestly anything that like hints at any sort of anti-police rhetoric there are going to be some people out there being like i don't know about this mm-hmm. <laughs> like well what it means is people having mental health crises will have a like, oh i like that but i didn't like the way it was phrased like you're never going to like the way it's phrased mm-hmm. stop read think mm-hmm. there you go like <laughs> right okay right right <laughs> but we digress we do yes yes we digress but yeah um, it feels like overall um with biden's picks like he picked people who were like progressive enough to accomplish progressive policy in a real way um mm-hmm. but not too outwardly progressive overall because then the senate won't confirm them if we don't win the georgia runoffs plus mm-hmm. they're on top of all of that there is biden's message of unity and wanting to be true to his word and wanting to do that and so i feel like the combination of those three big factors kind of led us to the cabinet we have now and or the nominations we have now I should say mm-hmm. um and yeah like I said overall I'm cool with it <laughs> yeah overall exactly so far you know it'll, it'll be interesting to see like who else he rounds out his cabinet with yeah um and um, I, I remembered why we actually ended up bringing up defund the police or like the whole it, it circles all the way back to the the articles that were written right after the election and in talking about who Biden would nominate and um, the difference between AOC and Connor Lamb, who's like a moderate Democrat in Pennsylvania. And yeah. a lot of those moderates being like, the phrase defund the police almost cost me my election. And we can't get things done if we're losing elections. And like, that is an understandable perspective. And, you, you know, he knows his constituents, but he, but as AOC said, like anyone who ran on the platform of progressivism that was that got her help and that took her message, they actually did well. And we are very fearful. And I, if if I could, like one concern that I have with the Biden, like just the general kind of like the Biden effect of of people who are going to be in office and like the. I'm sure overall the methodical and the, 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 like the correct way he's going to be doing things the right way. And it's going to be great. It's going to be competent and good. And, you know, that's gonna, I'm going to have to, I'll have many moments where I'm going to be frustrated that things aren't happening fast enough or in a way that I want to see them happen Mm -hmm. or in a way that I think will energize, um, our progressive base for 2022, the midterms, and then for 2024. Um, because I really want, I want progressives to be out in full force and we can't. And so I'm hoping that everyone will like sort of hear the, you know, hear and voice the, the valid frustrations that we're going to inevitably have with, with the Biden administration and, um, hold them to account, try to push them to get the shit done that they have committed to. And that, you know, we, we want them to, to do, but we cannot kill each other in the process and leave a like bruised democratic party that's going to lose in the midterms and lose in 2024. We need to somehow be a stronger party. And I, I I think I'm nervous that I don't see 
really a path for that at the moment. <laughs> yeah, no, I do not. I do not necessarily see a path for that either. And it's, it's hard because it's like, it's a, it's like a purity test for everybody. It's mm-hmm. like, you're not liberal enough or progressive enough, or you're not modern enough. And it's like, no, I know what, if I were in charge, all the policies I'd put in place, if I were president and the things that I'd want to do and how very liberal that is. I also know the world that we're living in and I would much rather be making forward progress mm-hmm. with Biden than be on another four years of Trump or be, you know, it's like we, as long as we are moving in the right direction, fighting the fights we need to fight, you know, I'm happy. Like granted, I would like things to move quickly, particularly with how much backsliding we've been doing in the past several years, but you know, with a, a competent leader, a competent administration, mm-hmm. moving progressive policies forward in, you know, just in that forward direction. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm happy with that. Yeah, me too. It's all I need right now. And it's honestly all like, realistically, it's like, I don't know how quickly and effectively certain things could get done. You know, there's mm-hmm. a lot to undo. And so mm-hmm. it's like, I would rather have things done right and take a little longer than yeah. try and, you know, put a bandaid over a gunshot wound or whatever that expression is. Yeah, exactly. So we're fine with it. We are. It's fine. It's fine. <sighs> And now for We See You. <laughs> All right. At a campaign stop over the weekend at a gun range, because of course it was a gun range, mm-hmm. Kelly Leffler invited Doug Collins to rally the crowd. Um, a reminder that Republican Kelly Leffler is running in the Georgia runoff against Democrat Raphael Warnock. Um, at the rally, Doug Collins said, I'm not sure, Kelly, what a pro-choice pastor looks like. There is no such thing as a pro-choice pastor. What you have is a lie from the bed of hell. It's time to send it back to the Ebenezer Baptist Church, which of course is the church where Warnock is the pastor, the pro-choice pastor, that's what it looks like, and was the home church of Martin Luther King Jr. So, way to go, Doug, you piece of shit. Um, And I feel like it wasn't too long ago that the right was claiming Democrats were critical of Amy Coney Barrett for her faith and her interpretation Mm. of her faith. Um, Of course, those arguments don't really hold up as the issue that we have with her isn't her faith, but rather whether she would make her judicial decisions while keeping a separation of church and state. Mm -hmm. And the reason for skepticism was not because she's Catholic, Joe fucking Biden's Catholic, Mm -hmm. but because she has been outspoken on issues of abortion and gay marriage in the past in a way that her judicial integrity was in question. Mm -hmm. But now... Republicans are attacking Warnock based on how he practices his faith. So it's okay to attack Democrats for their faith. Republicans are being hypocritical. I am shocked. (laughs) Um, And while seeing Kelly Loeffler, I must mention several other things. Uh, She, as I believe you mentioned, she opposed additional COVID aid this summer at the same time when her husband's company uh, with which she owns between 5 and $25 million in stock, mounted an $11 billion deal to profit off the pandemic. Mm. Uh, Leffler has also supported dangerous election conspiracies without evidence. And uh, Leffler has many questionable ads that seem to be racist dog whistles against her black opponent. But uh, there's one recently that has uh, a cop calling Warnick dangerous. Mm. Um so, okay, you're going to have a cop call a black man dangerous in your ad. Subtle, Kelly. 
So then these are just like a few of the, the things that she has done recently. Um, there are so, so, so many examples. She's the richest U.S. senator there is, and she acts as if she, there was literally an ad she released where she knows Georgians when it's like, actually, <laughs> we're not this. Um, God. So for all that and more, we see you to Kelly Leffler and a little mini we see you to Doug Collins, you racist shitbag. Ugh, we see you. So gross. Ugh. Okay. Well, I was driving in central Washington in Wenatchee. Um, oh. <laughs> had a little road trip and um, saw this very frustrating sign. Um, it was a, a thin blue line, American flag, um, and it said, Blessed are the peacemakers. Oh. <laughs> Um, which is okay. So essentially this is the, this is a blue lives matter sentiment. This is, this is the flag that you've been seeing probably next to the Trump Pence 2020 signs, the MAGA, the don't tread on me, those types of signs. This is one that is next to those. Um, and it sort of, this struck me as being very kind of handmaid's tale, like deifying police, um, which makes me at a minimum frustrated and uncomfortable because you know as we spoke about we understand defunding the police is controversial and in order to actually have any conversation about defunding quote defunding the police which really means lots of the stuff that we already talked about um the conversation has to be nuanced we have to take information in that makes us uncomfortable and that means everyone on all sides so for instance as a liberal and a protester and um, someone who has definitely and will continue to march in the BLM um, protests and push for change, you know, I will acknowledge that some protesters are bad actors and they, and some people engage in these protests explicitly to create, create chaos. You know, sometimes they fill water bottles with concrete and there are soup cans that are thrown, full soup cans that will hurt a cop if they get hit with a soup can. Yes, sometimes. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes cop cars are occasionally set on fire. Now, on looking at the data, most of the arsonists and the people that are engaging in this type of actual violence against police are white white men and women. For instance, the car in Seattle, the downtown Seattle that was ablaze uh, turned out to be the actions of a white woman in Tacoma who was not in any way affiliated even informally with the Black Lives Matter movement. Wasn't me, I promise. I was in Tacoma (laughs) at the time. It was not me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You've been outed. (laughs) Um, But that's all to say that we all have to take our lumps, take in everything happening um, on our side of the scale and protesters are largely peaceful. These protests have been largely peaceful and a study that looked at most of the Black Lives, like as a comprehensive look at the Black Lives Matter protests of this summer of 2020, um, showed that 93% um, of the protests were completely peaceful. So only a a small percentage, less than 7% turned violent at some point, usually at night. And usually those were agitators that came and, and were acting expressly against the wishes of the Black Lives Matter organizers. So now with that huge massive windup, <laughs> those that deify the police and this thin blue line as blessed peacekeepers, you are willfully or otherwise ignoring reality because it doesn't fit your narrative. Because there are actually a lot of violent cops um, 
you and you need to understand that you the people who are deifying the police many many and there are troubling statistics about this many police officers have some sort of domestic violence um, record that gets hidden. Many of uh, many of the violent and careless police officers are just passed from one department to the other and it's, they're covered up. They're made, excuses are made for them, all sorts of leeway from their colleagues and their supervisors that a general civilian in behaving that way would never be allowed. Um, and because police have strong unions, the unions are you know, much stronger than teachers or other day laborers and domestic workers, um, you know, all of those unions have been long defanged by GOP state houses across the country, but the, the police unions, those fuckers are strong. And those, they allow a lot of evidence of police malfeasance, um, to be able to be swept under the rug and have these, the records expunged after three years and the records that are kept are not, aren't able to be accessed by the press. There are lots, lots of troubling, um, information about this um, at the state and local level when you look into the ways that police um, are protected from any accountability, really. Um, we also see that police are just militarized. There's like G.I. Joe cosplay happening, um, even from this summer when everyone was filming them in 2020. They know that they're getting filmed and that they're on, that, that people will see this behavior and yet they still continue their brazen contempt of protesters and of the Black Lives Movement. And it was wild to watch their contempt for, dare I say it, the rule of law and for human dignity. They were stealing water jugs and pouring them out. They were pouring out milk, which protesters use if pepper spray gets in their eyes. They were running over protesters with their cars, smashing through barriers, shoving peaceful, peaceful protesters, both young and old, into the ground. If you want, you, you should look into um, T. Greg Doucette, who is a never Trump Republican, who has been documenting on Twitter ever since May, um, um, all of the documented instances on video from across the country of police brutality. The last time I checked, he had nearly a thousand cases that were tagged um, with what happened and where it was. And you can just watch the video. The videos speak for themselves in terms of this police brutality um, against protesters when they basically always know they're being filmed. Um, in many instances, when people push for accountability, they're just given the middle finger by the cops. And the, the, the police close ranks as if to say, yes, all cops. And they're they prove the point that the protesters are trying to make that police departments have toxic entrenched problems that lead to unnecessary death. Um, recall that incident in Buffalo where the police pushed that man who was like in his seventies over and we all heard his head crack and start and watched him bleed on the sidewalk as a, as an army of police officers walked by him and didn't help him. And after that, when there were two police officers that were, were getting, um, were facing charges or getting in trouble in any way, the rest of the police uh, in that precinct protested, which is protested because they didn't feel that the cops, they felt the cops were being treated unfairly, which was wild. And what kind of message is, does that send about the way that they believe they should be able to act with impunity. The mental hurdles of any thinking, feeling person who in good faith would, you know, what 
would have to do to get to blessed are the peacemakers and wear a thin blue line shirt are mind blowing to me. I mean, I see, I see the thin blue line flag as a threat. (laughs) I see it and I feel threatened. Um, It takes blue lives matter to the next level in terms of willfully missing the point, mishearing and misinterpreting the words and desires of protesters, simply asking for less trigger happy police, more accountability and less unaccountable death. Come on, we should all be able to agree that that's a good thing and that there's so much work to do. I have uncles in law enforcement, and I know this is a sensitive issue, but hear me when I say that I will take responsibility for the bad actors in the protester crowd. Are you willing to do the same of your own? That's what this whole movement is about. It says something gross about the people who saw the George Floyd and the Ahmaud Arbery videos and the lack of justice for Breonna Taylor and leaned away from justice for those people and thousands and thousands of others finding themselves unluckily on the wrong side of a heavily armed, jacked up cop. We see you. We see you. All right. Beauty brand Lush, which I have enjoyed using for their bath bombs, uh, markets itself as a natural, eco-friendly brand. Unfortunately, it's been discovered that Lush UK donated 3,000 pounds to Women's Place UK. Women's Place UK sounds like a charity for women. What's the problem? Well, while Women's Place UK represents itself as a women's organization, its manifesto and its demands to the British government are full of trans-exclusionary language, making it clear that Women's Place UK is for cis women only. Uh, They wrote a statement to the Scottish government in March of this year saying, we do not support the proposal to shift to a system of self-declaration for those seeking to change their legal sex. Additionally, they call for single sex spaces for women and discrimination data that only takes sex into account as opposed to gender or self-identification. I wonder if J.K. Rowling has given them money too. Probably. There is no reason to exclude women. I said it before, I'll say it again. There's no reason to exclude women who are trans from spaces for women as they are women. There's no danger to cis women in this. The potential danger would be if trans women were forced into spaces with cis men. Lush UK has run pro-LGBTQ ads. Lush North America posted about the Trans Day of Remembrance. Representation is incredibly important, but you cannot say you are an ally with your words and your social media posts while throwing money at causes that harm those you claim to honor and respect. A representative for Lush said, we do not believe that trans rights are a threat to women's rights. Our belief is that a decent society should be able to structure itself to give rights and protections to all who need it. Okay. So if the donation was a mistake of some sort, if they contributed not realizing what the organization was really about, they should own up to it. Here, I wrote an apology for you. (laughs) Lush UK made a terrible mistake in contributing money to a bigoted organization due to our own carelessness. We apologize sincerely for this egregious error and the harm we have directly caused. In an effort to begin remedying this, we will not only have stricter procedures for selecting organizations to donate to, we will commit to donating to and highlighting some of the many impactful organizations around the UK that support people who are trans on at least a monthly basis going forward. Trans women are women and we reject turf ideology like that of Women's Place UK. That wasn't so hard. We see you. Snaps. That was I wrote my own apology for you, (laughs) bitches. Oh my gosh. They should pay you for that. (laughs) Honestly. Where's my money? Find me on TaskRap. I'm not on TaskRap. (laughs) I'll write your apologies, but you have to mean it. Oh, uh, okay. So McKinsey and company, or well, <laughs> really McKinsey, the um, consulting firm 
uh, advised Purdue Pharma, the producer of the addictive painkiller OxyContin, to give drug drug distributors a rebate for every OxyContin overdose attributable to the pills they sold. This is according to bankruptcy filings obtained by the New York Times last week. Um, This is horrific, and it matters because it was one of several options that McKinsey presented in PowerPoint form to the Sackler family, Purdue's owners, to drive sales of the drug, which at the time, there, it was clear that the opioid abuse had already killed thousands of people in the U.S. The banality of evil is real. Rebates for death, proposed as if it isn't the most horrifying, dark, immoral thing imaginable via a sanitized PowerPoint in a boardroom. If you're listening to the idea with a coffee and uh, you're, with a coffee in hand, and there's all sorts of productivity consultant language, then it must be fine, right? Uh, You know, this 2017 presentation from McKinsey projected how many customers of distributors, including CVS and Anthem, might overdose or develop a use disorder. And the company projected that in 2019, 2,484 CVS customers would either overdose or develop an opioid addiction and that Purdue would pay CVS $14,810 per event, a.k.a. death, um, which would result in a total rebate for CVS, CVS of uh, $36.8 million for the year 2019. So the rebate was a strategy that McKinsey was um, attempting to help Purdue find a way to, quote, counter the emotional messages from mothers with teenagers that overdosed. Uh, I mean... <laughs> Yikes, man. I, rather, rather than spot a huge fucking problem with the company that they're attempting to consult, um, that thousands of Americans are overdosing on readily available opioids that uh, Purdue flooded the market with um, and incentivized doctors to prescribe, McKinsey like, actually looked past that, absorbed the statistics of the likely death that they were contributing to, and then proposed rebates per death as a solution to incentivize CVS to also disregard the death and, you know, adhering to any moral code. It's stunning and disgusting, and likely none of these people will be going to prison for their evil bullshit. It feels like it's corporate greed that uses corporate blinders to coldly calculate the death they're causing and then problem solve how to continue to facilitate the deaths via a consulting firm. It's just, I mean, it is as dark and cynical as it sounds. Oh, and at one point, McKinsey discussed, quote, eliminating all our documents and emails related to their client, Purdue. Guess it must have dawned on them at some point that, hey, we're corporate stewards of death. Not a cute look. Um, Anyway, Purdue pleaded guilty last Tuesday to three criminal charges, including impeding the U.S. Drug um, Enforcement Administration's efforts to combat the addiction crisis and paying illegal kickbacks to doctors. Um, And one can only hope justice is coming for McKinsey Consulting. We see you. We see you. Rock climbing as a sport (laughs) is dominated by white men. And The Lily, which is a publication of the Washington Post, published a piece regarding naming of rock walls. There's a tradition which allows the first person that climbs a rock wall to name it. And shocker of all shockers, a predominantly white male sport has a hearty serving of sexism and racism. Some names of roots include slavery wall, happiness in slavery, welfare crack, gold digger, 
kitty porn, clean shaven girls. Oh God. Yes. Third Reich and astride my Indian queen. And of course astride means with a leg on each side of, um, the only name of those I mentioned that was changed is the happiness of slavery route was changed just to happiness. Um, <laughs> these names sound like they were hatched by the worst boys I went to middle school with. And thankfully a group of women um, and people of color and women of color in climbing is working to change the offensive and outright stupid trail names and to change the broader culture within the climbing community. Why does this matter? Because language matters. Other than these names being juvenile as hell, clean shaven girls, really? They make a mockery of people of color and women and further send the message that rock climbing is just another activity that is really for white men only. And if you must participate, then fine, but you'll be mocked by the name of what you're climbing. No one should set out on a rock climbing expedition and find their own slavery wall. That is beyond disgusting. We see you. Wow, we see you. When you told me it was going to be like <laughs> a white male rock climbing one, I was like, yeah. oh my God. I mean, if Tinder was any, any, any indication. indication. <laughs> like, oh, the first one there, it's name it. Oh, white men. Oh, no. Oh my God. Slavery wall and what it was, shaved. Oh, God. Ew. If there's ever like kitty porn, K I T T Y, which I assume is a nod to girl on girl. Uh, like I, I mean, I don't it. even know what that even. Yeah, I didn't know what that meant really, aside from just that I'm offended. <laughs> I think it's just like, yeah, we like pussy and climbing rocks. But. Oh my god. So okay, at some point, <laughs> I'm going to like absolutely. I mean, we should have like a bonus segment, maybe for one of our Christmas episodes, where we just outline all the ways in which the rock climbing community of cis white men or just has hurt us personally <laughs> has hurt us personally and and really just a, a, a psa for all single gals to just stay away just stay just left swipe the shit out of those people yeah i'm not gonna regret this and i will not retract it <laughs> <laughs> no retractions <laughs> Uh, <laughs> okay well um <laughs> i'm still thinking about it i'm still just like burning with rage about that even though we've said so many other like horrible things i'm just thinking about how wronged we've all been by rock climbers, rock climbers. <laughs> <laughs> but i also like the documentary free solo which balances it out that guy seems like he's not a great partner. Okay. <laughs> Moving right along. <laughs> um, so a new study finds that evictions in 2020 led to 10,700 additional pandemic deaths, um, which is just pretty bleak. Again, kind of thinking in terms of Giving Tuesday and the effect of the pandemic and how, how um, disproportionately it's affected, um, you know, black and brown minority communities. Uh, it's, um, it's, it's a lot for to wrap your brain around, um, but new research finds that more than 400,000 COVID cases and nearly 11,000 deaths resulted from evictions uh, after many states allowed eviction moratoriums to expire over the summer. Um, from emergency room physician uh, Dr. Jason Wilson, um, he tweeted, stable housing is even more important than wearing a mask. Getting out of this pandemic means following all the CDC guidelines, including the one about not evicting people during a global pandemic. 
Um, this made me really sad because <laughs> there's been a couple of different, I think probably Vice and just other like little documentary segments that follow around um, people who are evicting essentially just like families during the pandemic. And it's really hard to watch because it, it, throwing people out of their homes in the middle of a pandemic when, you know, they're... <laughs> this seems like a problem that could be solved there. We have so many like grotesque billionaires um, in this country and the money is going to all the wrong people. And then there are highly vulnerable communities. Um, one in six um, households, family households um, don't have enough food for a week and, and don't um, know exactly how they're going to be getting their next uh, meal. Um it really, um, as we head into the holiday season, I just think is is something to to think about. I mean, it's <laughs> it's an overwhelming problem, and it kind of reminds me too of um, uh, Christmas Carol, like Scrooge saying, "Are there no prisons, no poor houses?" I mean, we're firmly in the holiday season, or actually, no, that's um, is that uh, it's a wonderful life. It is. It's um, Mr. Potter and It's a Wonderful Life saying, are there no prisons, no poorhouses? I'm pretty sure. Anyway. I think so. Um, yeah. But it, either way, if you're Mr. Potter or if you're Scrooge, um, it really does feel like our country is kind of has embraced the ethos of both, both of those men before they came to their senses. Um, and there are so many different factors that lead someone to have housing and food insecurity, but um, they're problems that like are largely created by uh, the government and factors that are completely out of their control. People want to work. People want to be safe. People want to have a home, like a, a roof over their heads and they want to be able to feed their family. And um, that should be something that everyone is able to do. I just, I'm gutted that we are in a country that doesn't seem to um, place much store in, in human dignity on that level. Um, so uh, just, we see you to the landlords evicting people right now. Um, we fucking see you. We see you. And now for a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Kavan the elephant. Kavan. Kavan was living at the Margazar Zoo in Islamabad, Pakistan, after his partner, Saheli, died in 2012. Um, he was kind of dubbed the world's loneliest elephant. Elephants like to be in groups, and when his hmm. little elephant partner died, he's just been alone for the last eight years by himself. And um, He's a 36-year-old elephant. Um, he was diagnosed as both overweight and malnourished, um, and veterinarians worked to help him lose a thousand pounds. Um, and advocates, including Cher, worked to get Kavan around other elephants. So finally, after those eight years alone, um, he was transported. Hmm. to a new place with many other elephants. There's a video of him touching trunks with an elephant for the first time in many years. Um, hmm. Yeah, and there are apparently three... So it seems like Kavan's into lady elephants based on his past. Um, and three of, of the elephants at the new place are 
female elephant. So they're hoping that maybe he'll, he'll find a new partner. He did take a COVID test before boarding his 10 hour flight to Cambodia and it was negative. So he will be living out the rest of his life in Cambodia with other elephants. Um, which is really sweet because he, you know, elephants are social beings. They're highly intelligent. And actually the zoo he was at was forced to shut down too. So it's like, there was nowhere else he could go. Mm. So thankfully they were able, like they don't transport elephants by plane for 10 hours normally. They didn't even put him under. He was on the plane mm-hmm. <laughs> just going for it. So now he's in a new home in Cambodia with other elephants. You can watch a video of him touching trunks with another elephant for the first time. And it's just... Mm. it's very special and very nice so so happy for Kavon and it's it's always it's always heartening when um when good is done in the world so yeah yeah it's very lovely yeah and he had a nice refreshing mud bath when he landed as well yeah a little spa treatment so Kavon is Kavon's doing well (laughs) good I'm glad he's I'm glad he's doing well (laughs) someone's doing fine thank you thank you Cher (laughs) Cher what a queen yeah so yeah and if you want to google it uh it's uh k-a-a-v-a-n for anyone who wants to read up more on Kavon the elephant uh It's heartwarming. It's a good thing. (laughs) It's a good thing for sure. All right, everyone. Have a terrific week. (laughs) Have the best week ever, man. Who knows what next week will bring? I kind of want to mash up all of our endings for 2020. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Everyone. XOXO. Bye-bye.